Thank you, Paul. Thank you, one and all. Good morning. You may have noticed that I crept up the stairs a little bit gingerly this morning, and that's because I had a biking accident. Yeah, that's, you know, biking where you wear a helmet and brightly colored clothes and uh, those little shoes that you click into the... And uh, so I... We went for, it was about a 20-mile ride, and then I'm just cruising up to home. You know, most vehicular accidents occur within 25 miles of home. And I was just slowing down right there uh, as I was coming up the sidewalk, and I started to turn my foot out of the clip-on, and my wheel hit a little groove And I just flopped over into a sticker bush. (laughs) And I feel so bad for myself. (laughs) My my left shin just below the knee hit right on the edge of the curb. Yeah, it was horrible. I'd show you, but I don't want you to swoon. So... Well, I've been thinking about resolutions. Um, They don't involve quitting biking, but... A friend uh, tweeted yesterday, uh, got some sweet resolutions, but they're all for 2019. (laughs) Gonna rest up this year, then hit it really hard. I started my resolutions of 2017 in May, and that way I'm celebrating at this time of year. But I thought I would just give you a couple of uh, really helpful resolutions because I think if you, uh, well, I want to give you advice that's going to bless you and make you thrive and prosper in your spiritual walk. So uh, here's just uh, four quick resolutions. And the first one is make attending church a habit. You're off to a good start, by the way. Uh, Because attending church week by week is being in the right place at the right time. Nowhere is there life without water. And church is water in the real world. It's that hydration that we need from God on a regular basis. Shelley and I owe our marriage and more to the Lord and his church because we were there when God was speaking and we heard and it made a difference in our day-to-day life. Second quick resolution, do you remember the first one? Make attending church a habit, week by week. Here's another. Say please and thank you every day. These are very straightforward, simple resolutions. If you say please and thank you every day, you will be a better person, and you will encourage those around you, and you will recognize their encouragement. If you're married... 
say, I love you, every day. If you are not married, say, I love you, every day. Say it because it's true. And if it's not true, say it because it should be true. Here's a third resolution. Forgive and love your enemies. I know each hurt that you feel and each hurt that I feel is deep and unique. It's not about comparing hurts. It's about realizing that hurt fertilizes bitterness. Bitterness destroys you, but forgiveness heals you. And when you love, it says you are the stronger person. So forgive and love your enemies. And the fourth quick resolution, let me remind you, make attending church a habit, say please and thank you every day, forgive and love your enemies, and fourth, if you do those things, it will contribute to, to this next resolution, inspire Christ-likeness. And really what I'm talking about when uh, I want to encourage you to inspire Christ's likeness is to be like Christ. But in being like Christ, the thing that stands out, just as we sung a song ago, um, in which, I love this one line, I wrote it down here. Make me your masterpiece, Lord, put me on display, that I may ever be a picture of your grace. There were other stanzas that were applicable that expressed this very idea of being Christ-like at home, school, work, wherever you are. But in all of that, it's about being a leader, an, an, an inspiration, if you will, a blessing to others. And it's important to see yourself as a leader and not just as a victim. In life, too often, we tend to react rather than act. And in those difficult times with family or neighbors or coworkers or friends, we sometimes passively uh, suffer in the truest sense of the word. We experience the difficulties deeply. It discourages us. It robs us of our joy. We feel as though we are in a situation that we can't change when in fact in Christ we are the agent of change. We are the agent of a different outlook a different approach to the situation, a different way of seeing it, and we can manifest a different attitude and the power of God's Spirit, which indwells us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. So we have to see ourselves not as reacting, but acting as people of influence, as change makers who can introduce the things of God.
I was reading this last week, rereading someone who I've been reading a lot of. He lived in the mid-first century, and he said this, what a blessing is any person who can make others better. Just think about that for a moment. What a blessing is any person who can make others better. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Isn't that a beautiful idea? Isn't that a beautiful experience that you and I have experienced? Blessed is... What a blessing is any person who can make others better, not merely when in their company, but even when in their thoughts. Wouldn't you like to be that person? I would. Wouldn't you like to be that blessing? In the company of others, you encourage and inspire and influence them to be better. That makes you a blessing. But not only when you're in their company, but when you are in their thoughts. To do that, it helps us to cherish some person of high character. Somebody who can model the Christ-like life, really bring it to life. Somebody of flesh and blood, of contemporary experience, in the midst of the same kinds of things that you experience. Do you have those kinds of people in your life? Do you have somebody, if I gave you time to think, and it shouldn't take long, I mean, we could pause to think of all the people who have contributed to our lives, and I encourage it before the year's out because it will brighten your heart to think of all the people who've invested in you, who have helped you to become the better version of yourself. We know we can't always be that better version, but we know it's there, and when it's there, we realize it comes from the helping hands of others who have invested in us and inspired, in us, inspired us. But do you have a person that you look up to who actually, when they're in your thoughts, causes you to be a better person? Maybe to handle things a better way. Stimulates you to step up your game and not just sink down into that kind of sulking, woe is me. Those people we need to have before our eyes and in our thoughts. To live as though they're right there with us. To live as though they're watching us, encouraging us. Sometimes we call that person a coach or a mentor or a teacher. But those are people who make a difference in our lives that pull us up to be a blessing, to be a better version of ourselves. 
Jesus is that person for a lot of us, and he should be. And if he isn't, he should be. So that you can recognize him in those other versions I was referring to. But to have him present with you, to realize he's in your company through the Holy Spirit, but he's also present in your thinking, in the way you view things, view others, view difficulties, handle things, even bounce back from hardships or suffering or indignation or hurt. God has a resolution for you, and it's Jesus. And he embodies a resolution of the minor prophets, major prophets of the 8th century. That'd be the 700s before Christ was born. All of the prophets spoke of Jesus' coming. There's Micah, Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. All were prophesying of the at the same time, and facing a rough and tumble, crooked world. This morning, I want us to look a bit at Micah, and particularly at Micah chapter 6, and we'll read verses 6 through 8. What does the Lord require? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Now this is Micah speaking. He's he's speaking to people as he says this. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? That's a pretty pretty expensive offering. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Well, that's a little beyond our reach. Maybe a king could offer the Lord that, which would make it difficult for us to satisfy or make the Lord happy because we couldn't give him a thousand rams like a king could. It would be an exclusive audience, an exclusive acceptance. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Well, that was an evil practice that those who rejected the one true God, those who believed in many gods or false gods participated in. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Boy, just when you think the stakes are too high, beyond your reach, there's no atonement. Have you ever wronged somebody and wanted their forgiveness so bad because you wanted the relationship to be restored? but you hurt them so bad they wouldn't forgive you. The cost was unknown. There was no atonement that you could make. 
the price was so high that in a way the relationship was lost to you. Perhaps you know members of your family or friends that no longer are part of your life because of something that's happened between you. Maybe it was their fault and you haven't forgiven them or it was your fault and they haven't forgiven you. And, you know, as you come to the end of the year when you're kind of taking inventory of your life, you think of that as a great tragedy because it was something good and something that blossomed and bore fruit in your life and you're a little bit less than more because of what has been lost. Well, that's kind of the situation that's posed here, but Micah gives an answer that no one expects. He says, look, he's already told you. He's told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, some translations say, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice love kindness, or love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's a great resolution, not just for 2018. That's a great resolution for life. We see it embodied in Jesus Christ. And I think if we think about the progression of things, It works out this way. We will do justice if we love mercy or kindness. And we will do both. We will love kindness and we will love do justice or act justly if we walk humbly with the Lord. Because the Lord that we walk with rubs off on us. His presence affects us. His outlook, his attitude, his heart, everything influences us. In mountaineering, and I know not everyone has done mountaineering, but sometimes if you've been on an uphill hike or a climb of some sort, but especially in mountaineering, you look down a lot for safety. But you look up a lot for motivation. And in our lives, and in our relationships, uh, however you kind of see yourself, in mountaineering, if, if you're the one that's looking down for safety and you're roped up, you're looking down to the people that kind of belay you, so that if you slip and fall, you're, you're harnessed to them. And you can only fall so far because they arrest your fall. So when you look down, you're looking down for safety, but you're also looking down at others who are following you, and you're all looking up for motivation. I think that's a great metaphor for life because we're never doing it alone. And when we think of our walk with God, we're looking up for motivation, for inspiration, for that energy that we can't always find in one another. And yet we don't leave or 
lack consideration for those around us because we're dependent on one another. Our safety involves each other. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Those realities are included in that resolution, in that recommendation for life. Walk humbly. Micah wants us to know that walking with God is a walk of humility. It opposes the strut and pride of arrogance. In Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Micah says and describes the people, he says they devise wickedness and do it because they have the power. They covet and they take it, oppressing others for their greed, because of their greed. And God, Micah says, is going to take away the source of their power, the place that they put their pride into. Jesus said, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In Matthew 23, 12, James repeated him in chapter 4, verse 10. The point is, is that we are living in a world that is running in the opposite direction of what God encourages us to walk in, and that is humbly. It exalts itself, but God says, if you'll exalt me and not yourself, I'll exalt you. And Jesus said it too. Jesus was in the company of Moses, who in Numbers 12.3 was described as a very humble man, perhaps the humblest on earth. Why? Because he had to be humble enough to hear God. That's the problem with pride and arrogance. It's not about your individuality or independence. It's that your independence gets in the way of recognizing God and hearing him. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here are a couple of tips on true humility. One, remember who's in charge. And it's not you, it's God. I know that sounds maybe flippant, but there's just no way around it. He's not God if he's not in charge. And if he's your God, he's in charge. And when you are in charge, that means he isn't. And when you're in charge, you can't be humble and open and receptive to the great things that God wants to do in your life. This morning, I just happened to read, it's as old as the hills, I think, God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no. Do you know the third? Wait. No. I have a better idea. 
I have a better idea. That's the third answer. We've got to be open to that in our lives and not just call God when danger lurks. A second tip on uh, humility, pay more attention to your own faults than the faults of others. Compete with yourself. When I played golf, I should take that up again. Shelly keeps encouraging me. She says, you'll be happier. A lot of people don't like to play golf. It doesn't make them happy. It frustrates them, and they break their clubs. But I learned to love golf because I didn't have to compete with anybody but myself. And that made it a joy. A third thing, count your blessings. Give recognition. When you pray and God answers your prayer, do you even notice it? And what difference does it make? Do you stop long enough to say thank you, Lord? Because in that moment, Something is happening in you, happening with your faith in God that is very important. You're acknowledging that he is responsive to you. You're acknowledging that he's involved in your life. You're acknowledging that this whole thing really matters in a way that is practical and makes a difference in the way you navigate and negotiate life. That's really important. So walk humbly with God. Walk humbly with God. Can you pick out a person in your life that you could look up to, that you could say, there's a person that walks humbly with God? I thought about that this week. Several came to to mind, but Ron Hawkins was, to me, notable because, well, he's uh, the provost of Liberty University, but... At the time, he was the president of Western Seminary when I was a, the dean of one of our campuses and a part of the president's leadership team. One day when I was up in Portland, Oregon for meetings with the president, he invited us out to dinner and we got into his coach, which was really just kind of a beat-up old van, which kind of surprised me. His wife had driven it to the campus, and we met, and we all climbed into the van. And then he saw something happening in the parking lot. Some people were there. They looked a little suspicious because the campus was empty at that point in the day. It was uh, just dusk. So he got out and talked to them. And when he got back into the van, Maria, his, Marie, his wife, was sitting to his right in the passenger seat, and I could just overhear them, and Marie said to Ron, she said, Ron, you seemed a little stern with them. And Ron said to Marie, you know, you're probably right. I could have handled that much better. Now, I don't know if that means that much to you, but that sunk so deep into my heart. This is the president of, a, of an, three campuses, three campuses, one in Washington, one in Oregon, actually one in California and a fledgling one, so four. And his wife addresses something that he didn't do very well, and he just, it was so easy for him to say, 
you know, you're right. I, I, I could have handled that a lot better. And he moved on. It wasn't, he wasn't just dismissing it. He was owning it, but he was also giving himself a... You know, it was like, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It, this meant a lot to me because I used to have such issues with anger. I've been very open about that. And you know what the anger was often about? My pride. My wounded pride. Fault-finding, admitting wrong was very hard, very hard. But now you might hear me say, eh, I could have handled that better. Because the Lord reigns. And he allows that. That's humility. That's the kind of person I want to look up to and be like. That's a person that I see Jesus in. That's a person who I see embodying a humble walk with God. Love mercy. Love mercy. You know why they have to say love mercy or love kindness? Because the word that mercy or kindness is actually this word. You might want to note this steadfast love or loyal love. And so it seemed weird to say love, loyal love, or love, steadfast love. But that's what Micah is saying. And that steadfast love, it characterizes God. It's probably the number one attribute of God in the Old Testament. So it makes sense that if you hang out with God, if you walk humbly with God, that God is going to show up in your life in steadfast love. And Micah says, love it, love it. I really like that idea. And I think it's important for us to cultivate that as a value in our lives because people around us will not... You know, we're in a world of fair-weather friends, and we all know what a fair-weather friend is. Steadfast love is the polar opposite. If a fair-weather friend is the North Pole... Steadfast love is the South Pole. If a, if a fair-weather friend is East, steadfast love is West. And yet the world tends to run in the direction of fair-weather friends, friends for profit. But when there's no prophet, they're gone. But God says, I'm there in season and out. I'm a God of covenant faithfulness. And my interest for you will always be good. I have a better idea. That's one of God's answers to prayer. I have a better idea. The word is, you got to get a little spit in your mouth. Chesed. Chesed. H-E-S-E-D is the way you could spell that 
if you wanted to learn more about chesed. Ruth showed chesed to Naomi, if you know the story. That'll mean something to you. Jonathan showed chesed to David. If you know the story, it'll mean a little something to you. The Good Samaritan showed chesed to the robbery victim left to die by the side of the road. And the father showed chesed to the son that was prodigal with a great gift and squandered it and wasted it. In everybody's book, he was a, I don't know, what do you think of when you think of a scoundrel? He was a wretch. And the father loved him through it all. And when he came crawling back, the father lifted him to his feet and reinstated him as though he had never done anything wrong. That's chesed. And all those examples that I just gave you showed selfless and durable love to friends and family and strangers. We see this love so very clearly in Jesus. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the one and only Son of the Father, full of chesed ve'emeth. That would be steadfast love and faithfulness in Exodus 34, verse 6. When Moses asked God to reveal himself to him, to show him his face, he wanted more of God. He knew God's presence. He knew his conversation. But he said, let me see your face. And God said, meet me in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by and show you. He only showed Moses his back, but what Moses saw that he had never seen or heard was God passing by him uttering the character and qualities of his character and the climax, if you will, or the summit of those characteristics were the words full of grace and truth or full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Chesed the emeth. That's God. That's Jesus Christ. So love that kind of love. That's the love that touched our hearts, that gave us a dream that we could be forgiven and know God in ways that we had never known Him before, that we could be acceptable to Him in Christ, even though we weren't even acceptable to people in this world. You know who I think of when I think of 
someone who loves kindness or loves mercy or loves steadfast love? I think mostly of my wife, Shelley. When I grow up, I want to be just like her. I see in her and I see in people like her. I could include Pastor Tim Allen because I work with him. I've worked with him now for 17 years. That's a pretty good marriage going there. And don't think we haven't, haven't ever had a misunderstanding or a spat. Don't think we've ever hurt, not failed to hurt one another. We have. And yet we're very close, shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart, because of Jesus Christ in our lives. And he produces that steadfast love, that love that goes to one another and straightens it out, forgives each other, and moves on. And you know what? We have a higher opinion of each other because of that. Not a, not a poorer one. These are people of principle and character who forego their own pleasure to do what's right and what's constructive and loving for others over self. That's the kind of person I want to look up to and be like people that are like Jesus. And do justice. Micah wants us to have a heart for others. Have a heart for others. Not just our justice, but their justice. And that's what the word justice here, which is Hebrew mishpat, mishpat, another great Hebrew word for you to use at your New Year's Eve party tonight. Chesed ve'emeth and mishpat. It means that when we're wronged or treated unfairly, there's correction, there's justice. Sometimes that correction involves punishment, sometimes that, that justice involves caring and rectifying the situation. This is a rectifying justice through punishment or for care, through care for the vulnerable. We hate it. Don't you hate it when you're treated unjustly? If you drive a car, you know what I'm talking about. What Micah wants us to understand is that we should not only naturally hate it when we're treated unjustly, we should hate it when others are treated unjustly. We need to create or develop a sensitivity to the hurt of others. And so here in Micah, we even see him standing up for justice. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 8, he's already in the previous verses, he's outlined or characterized the things that the people are doing. The kings, the prophets, the priests, they're corrupt. They're taking advantage of the people that they should be serving. 
These are what we call politicians in the worst sense of that word. And people are suffering because of it. And they're profiting because of it. And in verse 8 of chapter 3, Micah says, I'm not like the false prophets. Do you know what he said? It's in verse, chapter 2, verse 11. He says, the prophets that you listen to, you people listen to, they promise you wine and beer. I know. I know what you're thinking. That's my kind of prophet. I'm bringing down on you wine and beer. But what he's trying to do is mock and exaggerate the fact that the people listen to things that they want and that they desire and that they crave. And the prophets have been corrupt so that they speak to that craving and those desires. And the people then feel justified in their prejudice. And Micah says, you've got to knock that off if you want to be just like God. The, they call him a saint. His name is Jerome. He said, let us regard the wounds of others as our own. Then our lack of sympathy for others will be overcome by pity for ourselves. I thought that was so clever. Let us regard the wounds of others as our own. Then our lack of sympathy for others will be overcome by pity for ourselves, which includes the others that we identify with. Justice is care for the vulnerable. It reflects the character of God, and it includes generosity. Dad didn't raise me to think a person's condition could ever be due to anything but either hard work or laziness. He said, we live in a, co a country of opportunity and equal rights for all, but that's not the country. It's the country of our ideals, but it's not the country of reality. But because I was trained that way, I didn't see God's mishpot for all people. Some deserved it, I thought. Others did not. The Jesus of God's steadfast love, love for us and love for others, is a God of justice for all, impartial. And we have to have a sensitivity to that so that we can be generous and not stingy. Do justice, act justly. Paul said, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, Romans 12, 9. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21. Sometimes if you watch television or you listen to the news, it's frustrating because you think, what can I do? But you see, if we get small, like Steve Martin used to humorously say, get small. 
then you realize this is where I'm at today, right here, and you can do justice. How do you overcome injustice? With good. You do good. You do good. You do good. You be that better version that God wants you to be, that you can be because he's empowered you with the very Spirit of God. He's inspired you with his Son and his love. You can put him on instead of that frustration. You can put him on instead of that discouragement. And you can face the situation right where you're at, and you can introduce and influence and bring good. That's, that's what Micah's talking about. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And uh, that's what I'm talking about this morning as we think about 2018. Man, the time is rolling on. Will you stand with me? All right. I was, I was kind of sworn in myself to do a 25-minute message this morning, and I'm looking at the clock, and I, yeah, it just get me wound up, I guess. Uh, I really thought I was going to finish this up quickly. So I'm going to just pray for us. Asking the Lord to bless you, cause his countenance to shine on you, that you might know his smile even when the clouds cover the sky and the sun disappears, that you might know his smile in every walk of your life. And because he smiles upon you, that you will be drawn to walk humbly, love deeply with his steadfast love, and act justly wherever you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you.